Hello and welcome to Econoday Unplugged. It's Tuesday the 29th of January 2019. I'm Jeremy Hawkins here in London and in a bumper edition this week, I'm pleased to say that in addition to our inestimable US expert Mark Pender, our Asian guru Brian Jackson is also joining us. So hello guys. Um, now, there are all sorts of key indicators scheduled, if not already released from around the world this week. We also have an FOMC meeting. There's high-level trade talks between the US and China, as well as the launch of a potentially far-reaching EU-Japan economic partnership deal. And that's not even touching on today's UK parliamentary vote on Brexit. So best we get a move on then. Now, Brian, I know you want to have a chat about uh, the upcoming RBA meeting, but perhaps just before we do that, we just quickly touch on China. Obviously, investor concerns are rising about where the global economy is headed, and one area of particular uncertainty is, of course, China. So we know it's slowing, but the big question is, will it get away with a soft landing, or is it in for a much bumpier ride? Well, you know, we, we often have this uh, situation where, um, you know, we have the Chinese data showing that it's a very smooth ride uh, every time. Um, you know, we see, uh, in particular, with the with the GDP numbers, uh, a, a fair bit of stability. But I, I think that definitely does, uh, you know, mask some of the underlying uh, problems that that do uh, happen in China. You know, it's it's going to, I think, continue to, uh, to to get a little bit weaker. But they still do have, I think, a bit of flexibility in in the policy response that they could make to that to try and offset some of that. So, you know, in particular, uh, you know, I think there's every time you do see uh, growth start to fall a little bit too much from, you know, perhaps weaker external trade, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there is a, a push to pro- try and uh, boost consumer spending to try and offset some of that, uh, trying to uh, get the housing market going again. And we've definitely seen over the last couple of months uh, reported uh, growth in house prices starting to pick up a little bit. So, you know, I think we're, we're going, this slowdown still has some more to go, but there are some policy options available to, to Beijing. Hey, Brian, okay. this, this is Mark. Um, how quick are these policy actions expected to have their effect or to begin to have their effect? Uh, well, again, I think you've already seen it to a certain extent if, if the house price uh, numbers you know, can be uh, uh, trusted. Uh, you know, obviously, um, they've started to turn around just in the last two or three months, and I think that has been um, you know, the, the impact from some measures taken you know, towards the end of last year to try and uh, uh, loosen up credit conditions in that sector. You know, but I, I definitely think that um, trying to do more uh, for consumer uh, spending is is um, an important part of the of the policy mix, and that can that can go through pretty quickly if you uh, you know we just saw yesterday uh, some officials saying that you know we're going to be doing more to you know in, in response to to all the Huawei uh, stuff going on overseas that. We're going to do more to try and uh, support uh, local firms to, to roll out the FG network, the, the 5G, sorry, network in, in China, and to try and encourage more consumer spending on high-end uh, uh, electronic products. So, you know, things like that, I think, um, can, can uh, flow through pretty quickly. And, Brian, this is Mark again. I have another question, and you mentioned trust. Uh, are the Chinese uh, statistical bureaus uh, confronted with skepticism on how in, uh, um, shockingly smooth their data is? Yeah, I think it's just part of the furniture. I think everyone knows that um, you know that there are issues with um, the data, uh, and you know from time to time they do come out with um, proposals and uh, changes to their uh, methodologies that you know I think do represent a, a real improvement in in the data. But 
you know, it's a it's a slow process. It's a it's a big country, and you know, there's still you know, I think a lot of work to be done in uh, increasing the the standards of their uh, economic statistics. But you know, it's 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 just something that you have to sort of uh, take for you know take with a little bit of a grain of salt, but also realise that you know they're making progress. Okay, um, thanks, Brian. Um, now RBA then. From what I understand, there's various talks about downgrades to economic assessments and the like. So, any kind of chance of perhaps a switch from the tightening bias? Yeah, well, this is really interesting. We had um, actually just this uh, earlier in the week, uh, one of the board members, uh, Professor Ian Harper, he gave an interview to the Wall Street Journal, and he was very much um, sort of sticking to the line that we've seen for quite some months now from the RBA that, you know, in, in his view, uh, the next move in rates will be up. Uh, and that's really been a consistent message going back to the middle of last year. If you look at the minutes to each of the uh, RBA meetings over the last six or so months, uh, they've always been saying that they think um, an increase in rates is more likely than a decrease going forward. That said, you know, they've always been saying that, you know, we don't see any case for a, a near-term shift, but they've always been sort of putting out that message that, um, you know, rates are going to go higher. What has changed, though, is that um, the markets are not quite as convinced as what they were just a few months ago. We haven't had an RBA meeting uh, in January. They always take January off. So it's been two months now since their last meeting. And we've definitely seen, um, you know, some further weakness in the housing market and some other issues come forward that have cast doubt on, on this idea uh, that uh, the next move is higher. And just how important is China going to be? I mean, if we talk about the soft landing, presumably that makes higher RBA interest rates more likely. But if China slows more quickly than expected, does that take tightening completely off the table? Uh, that is definitely one of the, the big factors. Um, you know, obviously, uh, the Australian uh, economic cycle is still very highly uh, correlated with what's going on in China. But probably, um, you know, that's been, uh, you know, recognised, I think, for a while now. What has changed perhaps in the last couple of months, is just a more uh, of a focus on the housing market. Again, that's sort of been something that we've seen all through 2018, um, uh, mainly in response to some uh, you know, regulatory moves to try and tighten up uh, investment uh, in, uh, in property. But that, I think, has, has become more of a focus uh, in, in recent weeks um, and as we go into the new year. So people have already said, you know, we've had a probably about 10% fall in Sydney and Melbourne house prices. Uh, and if that continues on in 2019, then that's really going to start to bite on consumer spending. And that will cast real doubts perhaps on uh, the RBA's growth forecast. And so right. if we do see that start to happen, then, you know, this this pricing that we're already seeing in the market for a rate cut, you know, we might start hearing a bit more about that. Did you say, Brian, that housing prices in Australia fell 10% last year? Uh, in, in yeah, in the two larger cities, Sydney and Melbourne, by more than ten percent actually in twenty eighteen. Well, that's uh, so quite that's, se- that's quite severe. Uh, uh, it, I know that you haven't had a recession in a long time, but isn't that kind of consistent with the, that possibility? Sure. Uh, yeah, I, I think again we do have some um, uh, other factors at work that are helping us. Our uh, you know we have had uh, some some decent. Uh, export growth over the last uh, while uh, and we've also had the uh, the Australian dollar come off quite a bit so that's going to support uh, our, our export performance as well but you know it's definitely a, a concern what we have seen so far is that it hasn't really shown up in 
uh, the consumer spending numbers because the employment numbers have been very good uh, uh, for, for some time now. So as long as people still have a job and uh, can still you know, pay the mortgage, um, everything you know, is, is generally okay. But there's definitely, um, I think, a downside risk from there uh, to, to that consumer spending outlook. And that would be, I think, the, the main factor that would uh, prompt the RBA to cut. Okay, lovely. Thanks, Brian. Um, right, so moving a few thousand miles away then, Mr. Pender, um, yeah. we have an employment report on Friday. And, yeah. do we and do we have a patient FOMC? We will have a uh, we will have a patient uh, FOMC. I think that's almost certain. Um, uh, there's just been too many questions uh, and uh, a little bit of uh, uh, certainly a slowing that's uh, going to be related to the government shutdown. And uh, there's a little bit of an uneasiness here politically. You see it in the confidence numbers. We had consumer confidence come out today from the conference board. Uh, its measure is a monthly measure. It is, uh, I don't think Nosedive is overstating it. The last two months, it's dropped uh, as much as it has uh, since the 2008 recession. And that follows the mid-month consumer sentiment index that also made a substantial and rare fall. And these are tied to the government shutdown. Uh, and uh, so now is not really the time, I don't think, to be uh, talking hawkish now. Whether that equates to any change in the balance sheet, I don't think so. Uh, and uh, I think they will uh, have a they'll be, they'll be fighting to keep up a uh, soft talk with a hawkish uh, undertone, I think, is probably uh, what we will see. I don't think we'll see they have two uh, more rate hikes penciled in this year. They, that's down uh, one from the December meeting. I don't think that that's going to change. Uh, so, But uh, uh, in Jerome Powell's press conference, I think that there will be an effort to, you know, to have a little bit of a, a soft spin on the thing. The um, And... Uh, going to the employment report, that's uh, really the sign of strength in the economy, and that's probably why I think the Fed is going to keep its um, little bit unaccommodative undertone. And uh, uh, even though inflation is dormant, uh, you know they still have to stick by their ideological institutional guns. I would say. It, by the way, the Canada for uh, consensus for Fridays. A non-farm payroll growth is going to be 158,000, and that would compare with a massive 312,000 the month before. Um, the 158 is fine, and uh, um, so and there's a little bit of uh, average hourly earnings are incrementally inching higher to cycle highs, and that process is also expected to continue. So how is, I know it's difficult at the moment, obviously because of a, you know, what has been the shutdown effects and, and so on, but what's the kind of call on first quarter US GDP at the moment? Well, it looks like to be in the two and a half percent range. Uh, you know, it's a little bit uh, dicey. Residential investment doesn't look very good. G uh, government spending uh, purchases, that doesn't look very good. Uh, even uh, business fixed uh, uh, fixed business investment, which slowed uh, in the third quarter after rampaging through the first half of the year on the tax cut, um, uh, that doesn't look like there'll be a major acceleration. Trade data is hard to come by because of the government shutdown. That's coming out of the Census Department, and we haven't had any trade data. 
And uh, well, I just like to make one point about that. The Fed bases its uh, policy ostensibly on um, employment and inflation data, and all those series are unaffe- have been unaffected by the shutdown. So uh, the GDP is not actually cited uh, by the Fed uh, in its policy statement, and uh, so that I think. Um, you know, it uh, underscores a more importance in the labor market. And what Brian was saying, as long as the jobs market is strong, it certainly is here, um, things will probably take care of themselves. So I think that there's an assumption that consumer spending in the fourth quarter, even though we don't have December retail sales data, um, uh, we don't really know how well the ho- holiday season actually was. Uh, I think there's an assumption that it was probably pretty okay. And so that's going to support GDP. Okay. Thanks, Mark. Okay, from then uh, a couple of parts of the world where at least there's a, a reasonable chance that interest rates could, could be going up at some point to um, to continental Europe where it's completely different. Um, so last week we had the a new EC, first ECB meeting, I should say, of 2019. There are obviously no main changes to the you know, the big policy levers there, but we did see, I think as we touched upon expectations last week, we did see a downgrade to um, the risk assessment of the ECB's economic forecast. So in other words, the ECB is that much less confident now that uh, its economic forecast will prove accurate. And that in turn, although it probably doesn't really have any immediate implications from a policy side, it does make the idea of any kind of hike in Eurozone interest rates this year that much more likely. And indeed, I think looking at some of the more recent figures, is still not a, a done deal that quantitative easing, which ended at the back end of 2018, won't have to be reinitiated during the course of this year. Um, why do I say that? Well, one of the key numbers coming out this week on Thursday, we'll have the first look at Eurozone GDP. This is the so-called preliminary flash estimate. And that's only expected to show a 0.2% quarter-on-quarter increase. And if we see that, well, that's going to equal the worst performance in terms of total output since the first quarter of 2013. We'll get some early clues about how it's going to come in with the French GDP accounts and Italy. They'll be released just, just in advance of the, the full Eurozone. But uh, both those countries are struggling at the moment. And indeed, if we were to see another contraction in Italy, and the market call at the moment is just for a dip of 0.1%, that would put the Italian economy into technical recession. And that's clearly just from a, a psychological angle is not something the ECB is going to want to see. Um, also of note this week from uh, the Eurozone, we'll get the flash inflation figures, which clearly are crucial to ECB policy. They're expected to see the, uh, the early indications for January coming in at a 1.4% annual rate. That would be down from 1.6%. The core rate may well hold flattish at 1%. But you know, the bottom line again there is that despite all this talk from the ECB that it thinks that inflation will be moving up and the slowdown in the economy is only going to be temporary. It's not really panning out that way at the moment. So I think you know, these figures are going to be important to how the euro in particular trades you know, going forward. Um, I suppose if I round off a Europe bit with well, a quick mention of a UK and dreaded Brexit. As we speak, uh, we're only a short time away from what will be the second vote on uh, the Brexit withdrawal bill in the House of Commons in the UK. Um, This, though, is slightly different from last time in the sense it's not being determined as a so-called meaningful vote. Rather, what we're seeing here will be a test of what amendments might go through to this bill. The idea being that Mrs May can go back to Brussels with a view to try and negotiate some fresh compromises on the back of a, a supposedly united 
United Parliament. Well, clearly, I mean, there's no guarantee that she's going to get any kind of plus factors out of this anyway. But for what it's worth, the bills which are apparently being voted on this evening, uh, one will include leaving the rule out, I should say, leaving the European Union with no deal. Another one is delaying the Brexit timetable. We don't know whether they'll get the nod or not. But what we do know is that the Prime Minister has already backed down significantly on the withdrawal bill itself in a sense that she's indicated that she wants to reopen the negotiations on the withdrawal bill, uh, the one that she's already agreed with the European Union, to address the good old Irish backstop question. Now, this is something she has completely refused to do in the past, and indeed that has been one of the sticking issues as far as Parliament's concerned. The problem here, though, it still appears to be from everything we've heard coming out of the EU Commission, is that the EU is adamant in the fact that the current EU withdrawal treaty is going to stand as it is. So it could well be the case that even if Mrs May were to win the vote in Parliament, she's still going to lose a vote when it goes to Brussels. So although though the Brexit fog may be a little bit clearer tonight, the chances are we're still not going to really know where we're headed. Chair, uh, Jeremy, yeah. has, that, has that fog led to any uh, visible movement into defensive financial uh, things like bonds and um, it, could that be perhaps what's helping gold? Is it freezing? Is there any freeze going on in investor uh, psychology right now that we just better wait to see how this comes out? Well, certainly if you look at the real economy in terms of you know, real investment, um, we've seen, where are we, three consecutive, going on for four consecutive declines in fixed investment in the UK economy during the course of uh, 2018. And it's the first time we've seen that in donkey's years. So in terms of the overall assessment of business confidence, business for some while now has taken over you. Look, until we finally know what the heck is going to happen to this Brexit process, we're not prepared to go out and invest in new plant and machinery and buildings and so on. And of course, that may not hit growth so much initially, but it's going to start coming to fruition you know, as we go through 2019 and into 2020, when investment which should have been taking place, replacement investment or new investment, which should have been boosting productivity, simply won't be there. Now, I think from the way the financial markets are trading, um, it still seems to be the case that there's kind of an expectation there that we won't get this hard Brexit, you know, that being where we simply fall out of the EU at the end of March. There will be some kind of deal sorted out somehow some time. Um, but say it's far from guaranteed. So I think what we can say is because markets are still very uncertain about what the final result will be, as and when the things finally do become rather clearer, you know, we could see significant movement right across UK financial markets. And given the importance of London as you know, an international trading centre, that almost certainly will have knock-on effects across you know, the other major trading areas elsewhere around the world. Okay. Also, Jeremy, yeah. We, yeah, problem. yeah, Jeremy, I was just wondering, have we had much uh, uh, in, in the way of commentary from the Bank of England uh, since the, the Brexit meeting, uh, the, the Brexit vote a couple of weeks ago? Have they had a lot to say about you know, how this is impacting their view of the outlook? Well, I must say, they're being distinctly cautious, I think, at the moment. They're still, I think, feeling a little bit peeved that when they came out, what, just over, what, almost a month ago now, with their simulations of what would happen in the event, in the event of a hard Brexit or indeed no Brexit at all. They came out with these forecasts that you know, UK GDP could fall by 10%, there'd be a house price crash, unemployment would double and so on. And a lot of people just took them, you know, with a pinch of salt, because despite all that, they were saying that it would mean 
inflation going back up above target, therefore we'd have to raise rates. Now, I think it's pretty blooming hard to see the Bank of England tightening if they're, if they're called on the real economy um, is such that, you know, irrespective of what's going to happen to inflation. So they've been quite quiet of late, but what they have done is continue to push the view that what they don't want is to see is a non-deal. They're very, very anxious. You know, there's some kind of deal which helps to keep, you know, things as calm as possible in financial markets. That said, they have also been very much touting the line that you know, under their stress tests, UK banks could with, could withstand you know, a, a shock hard Brexit. Um, yeah, they'd have sufficient capital and the banking system could actually take it. And of course, they stand by ready to do whatever's necessary to make sure UK banking can hold on to its own. So, so they've been relatively quiet at the moment, I think partly because, you know, you almost have to feel sorry for them because they'll come out with their economic forecasts in their bulletins, but they're as clueless about what's going to happen as anybody else. And until we know what's going to happen to Brexit, making a forecast in itself is pretty well a waste of time. Sure. Thanks. Okay. Um, well, that's a nice little stroll around the globe. Um, I guess we should probably call it a day since time is getting on. Um, so anyway, on behalf then of uh, Brian, Mark and myself, thanks much Lee for listening. Um, as always, there's clearly a lot going on this week. So do make sure you keep an eye on Ecoladay's economic calendar to stay fully up to date. I'm off now to see how the Brexit vote goes. Oh, lucky me. And of course, the podcast will be back again next week as usual. Bye for now.